What I would like to do this morning with you is to read 10 verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, which talks about communion or the Lord's Supper. Uh, The last time we were together for Communion Sunday, we read the Nicene Creed, which I thought was pretty cool. And this time, since I have the opportunity to give both the message and lead communion, I figured I would just give one message up front, and then we will have communion after that. So, I've titled my message Communion, which is about as unimaginative as you can get, but nevertheless carves out what I'm attempting to do up here this morning. So, let's go ahead and get started. If you have a Bible, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians 11. I'm going to be reading from 23, verse 23, all the way through verse 32. We're going to put it up on the screen as well if it's easier to follow along that way. What I'd like to do, just quickly, after these verses are read, I would like to ask and subsequently answer three questions. Number one, what is communion? Number two, who is communion for? And number three, the universal question applicable to us all, should I take communion? I don't mean just should I, I mean should you too. So these are the questions I would like to answer. So here we go. Uh, The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, begins writing this in verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number have fallen asleep. That's a prophecy about my sermons right there. But if we judge rightly, if we judge ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord, so that we will not be condemned along with the world." Okay, so what is communion? I want, to point, I want to point a few things out from verses 24, 25, 26, and then I will give a brief definition. Those verses are seen here. Don't worry if you can't read it because most of that text is about to disappear anyway. But this is about to take the bulk of my message here, so this is where we'll spend our time. The first thing I'd like to point out is that communion is a memorial. Two times, you'll notice here, the Lord says, do this in remembrance of me. Do what? Well, verse 26, eat bread, drink from the cup. And in remembrance of me, that is with the intention of looking back to Jesus, and not just in a general way, but in specific ways. What ways are that, you ask, and I'm so glad you asked. Well, my body, which is given for you, that's one way, the new covenant in my blood. Let's talk about these for a moment. First, my body, 
which is talking about the miraculous incarnation, that's God becoming man. John 1.14 says what? The Word became flesh and tabernacled with us, dwelt among us. Paul says that God appeared in a body, 1 Timothy 3.16. Jesus was found in appearance as a man, Philippians 2.8. So Jesus, as God, took on or assumed, is usually the technical term, a human nature. Now that doesn't mean he stopped being God at any time. It simply means that God, who is divine by nature, adds to himself, as the second person of the Blessed Trinity, a humanity, a human nature. And thus, as Beth already said, Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God. God by nature is invisible. You can't see by nature what's invisible. However, Jesus images him. If you want to see what your creator looks like, so to speak, Look at Jesus Christ. He images him for you. What does the maker of me look like? Well, look at Christ, and you will find your answer. So, it's a little difficult to understand. You say, I don't understand it. Well, I don't either, but that's what the Bible teaches. So that's the this is my body aspect. But what about the which is for you part of the sentence? Well, in John 6, 51, he says, Jesus says he's going to give his flesh for the life of the world. I don't think that's talking about communion there, but the point is still the same. Quote, the bread represents the incarnate body of Christ, unselfishly assumed, taken on, and unselfishly given on the cross for the benefit of others, end quote. So as Jesus said elsewhere, he didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Isaiah said that God's servant would be pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his wounds we are, what? Healed. So that's what Jesus wants us to remember, that namely he willingly took the suffering in his body which we would have deserved as punishment for our sin, the result of which, if we believe this by faith and entrust him with our lives, we're no longer deserving of punishment. You say, how can that be? Well, because you receive a pardon, like in a court of law, a divine pardon. You get a clean slate, so to speak. In a word, literally, atonement. That's what it is. So, that's one part of the memorial. What about the other part, the, the new covenant in my blood? What is that about? Well, a covenant is just simply an agreement. That's what a covenant is. Biblically speaking, it's generally an agreement between two parties. So these two parties could have requirements or stipulations for both of them. For example, God says to Israel, if you obey the commands then I will bless you. Both parties there have something to do. Or you could have a covenant where only one party is bound to do something. For example, God says to Abraham, I will give you many children. What does Abraham have to do? Absolutely nothing. Now, he believes God, and it's credited to him as righteousness, but he doesn't have to do anything. Or God also says to David, you will not lack a man on the throne Okay, what did David do to deserve that? 
Nothing. Even though he was a man after God's own heart. It was a unilateral thing. God did it by himself without being uh, externally coerced in any way. So, what is the new covenant? And I think I said this last communion Sunday. As straightforwardly as possible, the new covenant is simply God's promise or agreement with all of humanity that he will forgive sin and restore fellowship for those who exercise faith in Christ. God promises to forgive sin and restore fellowship for those who exercise faith in him or faith in Christ. Now, technically, it seems to me that the covenant was only made with Israel, but, 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 it seems to be applied to everyone in the New Testament. And it's, simply, it's certainly foreshadowed in the Abrahamic covenant in the Old Testament. So, by extension, I think we can, it's safe to say the new covenant is made with all people. Now, I'm not trying to get us off into the weeds with that explanation. I'm simply saying that so you know that I know the difference. All right. In any case, the new covenant is said to be in Jesus' blood, which is the foundation or basis for it. And now, I don't want to spend a lot of time on the new covenant or the different covenants, but let me just briefly give a high-flying overview as to what these are, because the new covenant is usually contrasted with the old covenant, and so this is what we're talking about. It's a little small, but bear with me. It'll only take a minute. On the top, right in the middle there, it says old covenant. Over to your right, says the new covenant. Duration. What's the duration of the old covenant? Temporal. Temporary. It's just in time, okay? What about the new covenant? It's everlasting. It does not end. This goes on forever. Replaced? Old covenant? Yes. It wasn't good enough, Hebrews says. New covenant? Never. It's never going to be replaced. It's the last one. Written in stone. Remember Moses on the mountain? What about the new covenant? What does God say about that? It's going to be written on hearts of individuals. Initiated by the blood of animals. New covenant, I bet you can guess, by the blood of Jesus. That's when the new covenant was initiated. Number of sacrifices. Many for the old, one forever for the new. No more sacrifices are needed after what Jesus did. His work was perfect. Mediator, Moses of the old, Jesus of the new. Forgiveness, anticipatory in the Old Testament. We read that the blood of bulls and goats in the Old Testament can never really take away sin. It's just pointing or foreshadowing something that was to come. Namely what? Forgiveness that's realized by the cross. That's where real forgiveness takes place. Everything else is just leading up to that. The Holy Spirit, with regard to the Old Covenant, there's temporary anointing. With regard to the New, permanent indwelling. Approach to God through Aaron, the high priest of the Old, through Jesus Christ, our high priest in the New. Celebrated, this is the last one, by sacrifices, looking forward to the cross, by communion, looking backward at the cross. That's why I say this is a memorial. So everything we just said is simply pointing out that this is a memorial aspect, what we're about to do here in an hour. I'm just kidding. In a few minutes. 
It's a memorial aspect primarily. So there's another aspect though, and I'm gonna briefly touch on this point, and that's simply the proclamation. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In other words, what we're about to do is supposed to be a visible sermon that we all participate in that announces or declares or signifies that Christ is coming again. We are literally waiting for him expectantly. He could come today, as hard as that is to believe. He might, but that's what the Christian is waiting for. We're waiting for Jesus to return. That is the hope. So what's our definition? A communion is a rite, R-I-T-E, or ceremony, where bread and wine are shared among believers with a view toward remembering the sacrifice Jesus made so that our sins could be forgiven, that's the new covenant, and proclaiming that he will come again physically to fulfill his promises. That's it. That's what communion is. We're done with the major part of the message already, so we're almost finished. Who's it for? What do you think the answer is? For everyone? No. Yeah. We just said the new covenant is the promise that God makes with humanity. He will forgive sin and restore fellowship with those whose hearts are turned toward him. So, communion is for new covenant believers only. That's it. This is supposed to be a special thing that just we who are saved in Christ or you could say the elect. That's what we do. Should I take communion? What do you think the answer to this one is? Well, like most ethical questions, it depends. Depends on what? Well, first, are you in covenant with God? Are you a born-again believer? Do you know Christ as your Savior? Do you desire to know him more, to please him, to serve him, to glorify him, to worship him? Unbelievers don't have that. So if you have that, then you would be a new covenant believer. So first, are you in covenant with God? That depends, or that answer is what is going to determine whether or not you should take communion. You'll want to answer all those in the affirmative. If you're unsure or iffy about whatever I just said, then again, do not feel pressured to take communion. We tend to go through motions when we're around other people. You don't have to do that. If communion's passed to you, you can simply say, I don't, I don't think I'm going to do this today. Thank you, though. I'm dealing with some stuff, or I'm thinking about some things, or I'm praying about some things. You don't have to take it. But what if you are a new covenant believer, then what? Well, because of verses 27 through 32, which tell me historically that God disciplined believers by afflicting them with sickness and even uh, physical death for some of them because they didn't treat their fellow believers rightly in the case of the Corinthians, because I read out of Corinthians, that was the church's problem at the time. Because that was happening, I would say two things practically speaking. Number one, before we take communion here in a few minutes, make sure you're walking in a habit of obedience. Or the flip side of that, you don't want to have any flagrant disobedience to God in your life. You say, how do I know? Well, you, you know. You know. That's between you and the Lord. You know what's going on. I don't know what's going on with you. You don't know what's going on with me. 
but we don't want any flagrant disobedience in our lives. And second, and this is the hard one, I hate this one, not because it's actually bad, but because I can't stand my own sin. You want to make sure, as far as it depends on you, there's no schism between you and another believer. That's a hard one, because then you've got to confront people, then you have to go have a conversation. I can't stand those. Anybody who's married, have you ever heard your spouse say, we need to talk? Those are like some worst words. can't stand them. Now, the Bible even goes further than that. It says, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with whom? All men, everybody. That's, that's nigh impossible. Nigh impossible. There's a good one right there. But with another believer, we don't want to have any schisms, okay? So those are essentially the two requirements. So should I take communion? Here's a brief quote from John MacArthur. A Christian's attitude and motives should be pure at all times. Good luck, right? But when believers come to the table of the Lord, sharing the bread of his body and the cup of his blood, it is absolutely necessary that they leave behind all sin, all bitterness, all racial and sexual prejudice, all class pride, and all feelings of superiority. Of all places and occasions, those attitudes are most out of place at the Lord's Supper. Remember what the Lord himself said, if you're going to present your offering before God, and you know a brother has something against you, what do you do? Leave your offering. Don't go present it. Go and make it right with your brother first. Then you go present your offering. Those people grievously profane that holy, beautiful, and unifying ordinance of God, which we call communion. So that's what we talked about. We just did what is communion, who's it for, should I take it, Hopefully, some of that was informative. At this time, I would appreciate if our men who are serving communion, would you please come forward? We are going to take 60 seconds, quite literally, I'm going to time it, in the quietness of our own hearts, just for us to do business with God, each one of us where we are. After we do that, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, these men here can distribute the elements, and then I will ask you to hold on to them until we take them together. So let's take a moment and go before the Lord. Father in heaven, it's quite difficult sometimes to go in the quietness of our own hearts to you. We're very busy people. But I ask, Lord, for the moment that we have, we give this time and dedicate it wholly to you. Thank you that there is no sin too great once we've come to know you that will separate us from Christ. As your word says, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, none. What can separate us from the love of Christ? As Paul says, a rhetorical question. So, Father, help us to take this minute. We want to confess our sin before you, Lord. And if there's no sin too great, then we simply rely on your word, coming to you in belief, knowing that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us those sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Father, if there's anybody we need to do business with, if there's somebody we have to get it right with, would you please 
Make that evident in our minds. Would you please impress that upon our hearts, Lord? Because it's far more important to be in the right with you than it is to uh, humble ourselves before others. Help us to set our pride aside and do what we need to do to be holy, blameless, and just before you as best as we can on this side of eternity. Lord, as we get ready to take communion now, we want to remember your body given for us, your whole person, God incarnate, come just to save us, Lord. I don't know why us, but thank you for doing it. And the blood of the new covenant, as the blood of the lamb in the Old Testament was put over the door frame so that the destroying angel would pass over the sons of Israel during their time in Egypt. So the blood of Christ, metaphorically, is over us so that we too might escape that judgment. Please bless our time together. Help us enjoy this communal fellowship. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Father in heaven, thank you for this memorial time. Thank you for the opportunity to corporately confess, Lord, as your word says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Thank you for your forgiveness and your loving kindness each day. Please help us to understand just a little better today what we're doing and to know that you love us, you forgive us, and you want us to walk a holy walk with you. We bless you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.